up front, mm -hmm. or do you want to skip and do it again? <laughs> so the same is true of stones. Now, on this piece that we're looking at with the Larimar, you also have what looks like copper and brass on there. Is that I right? I do. I have brass bushes and copper trees. And those, how do you, how do you form those and attach those to the pendant? So each one was cut out of a piece of brass and copper. Um, I designed it on paper first so that I would know what I wanted it to look okay. like. And then I cut the individual pieces out. And I just use um, a paste glue to put it on the metal and then use a jeweler saw to cut the sh each shape out. Okay, so you're cutting those out by hand? Yes. Those tiny, tiny, tiny pieces. Tiny little pieces. And then. By hand. Um, <laughs> I put, um, you have to go, you have three kinds of uh, solder that you use, hard, medium, and easy. And you use your hard first because it has the highest melting temperature. And then that okay. protects that solder joint when you go to do another solder joint and you use medium. And then you go to easy. So you're always planning your piece while you're making it so that you can use all three solders and not endanger your piece during the construction. So it, the brass has hard on it, and then the um, copper has medium on it to attach it to the backing. And then around the edge, uh, which I also attach the, the bezel for the moon, the square wire that goes around the whole piece, the bezel for the Larimar, and the um, trees and bushes all at one time with medium solder. Wow. And the moon is what kind of stone in that? That is an amber. Okay. And you see me staring. It's because I'm looking at the picture. on, And I want to, um, to flip this over and let you see the back as well. I finished all the backs of right. my pendants. So because they they're always flipping around back and forth. Right. And you may as well have a beautiful side on both sides. Right. So Fused Elegance says, wow, so she does it all. Metalsmith, lapidary, and glass. I do. <laughs> she does. And she cooks, too. <laughs> but that's not my great skill. <laughs> well, that's OK. We can only be good at 10 or 12 things, Jen. <laughs> I mean, it's a little much to expect to be great at everything make the rest of us look bad. So there's another piece here in front. It's this bracelet right here. And I'd like to show this also because this is another one that, tell us how you made this. I'm pretty sure I know, but I'm not gonna spoil the surprise. So this is called Overlay and it's created by cutting a design in one piece of sheet metal and then soldering it flat to another piece of sheet metal through a process called sweat soldering. So everything on there that's carved was done with a jewelry saw and little tiny jewelry saws and then little tiny <laughs> drills to drill into the piece so that I could get the saw blade in there. Um, and I, I freehanded the design, this design is mine. So I'll let you show this. So not only is she very, very talented, she's very, very, Patient. <laughs> it does require some patience, but sawing isn't um, a hard thing to do as long as you're patient while you're doing it and you don't force the saw. Uh, so many of my students really want to get it done, and this is not like sawing wood. It is like um, almost a, 
a Zen practice where you're just pushing that saw up and down and letting the saw blade do the cutting instead of the force of your hand. Um, so this is sort of the glasswork equivalent of cold working. Yes, very much so. Okay. So you started, I'm sorry, I interrupted. You started telling us about sweat soldering and I got so distracted by the beauty of the sawing, pad, the pattern there, that I interrupted you. Continue, please, and tell us. So the sweat soldering is that on the, the piece that has the least amount of metal in it, so your smallest piece, or the piece that has the most cut out of it in this case, is the one that you lay, uh, I'll bet there was more than 100 pieces of solder I put on the back of that, and then um, heated it until it, melted a little bit, but not completely, used a solder pick to draw the solder into places where there wasn't solder. And then when that was done, I just immediately flipped it over uh, without uh, cleaning it or pickling it and sprayed some more flux on it and then soldered the whole piece together. From the back? From the back, the back to the front. Okay, wow. And this is again with the torch, right? It is with a torch. I use an acetylene B torch, acetylene air torch head. And I've used that since I started metal smithing, and it is my favorite torch. I do have a Smith Little Torch, uh, which is an oxypropane that I use for delicate uh, joints and things that require uh, it to become hot really fast without the rest of the piece necessarily being super hot. So um, between the a, two of them. Do you have an example of something that would, that would be like that, that would need to get hot quickly without the rest of the piece getting hot? Um, I, don't have, I don't have a piece here. Okay. But I do have a piece. Um, it's a small uh, house that I constructed, a 3D house. So it has four sides, a bottom and top. Okay. And in order to be able to solder the joints together, you have to uh, get it hot really fast and not have a lot of heat uh, linger there or you just burn out the side of the silver. Okay, so Colleen asks what solder do you use? I use wire solder in hard, medium, and easy. Uh, there is an extra easy, but it tends to be a little bit brassy, so I don't use it uh, at all. Okay, and Colleen also says you're a really great instructor. <gasps> <laughs> just you wait, you have no idea. <laughs> So tell us about another one of these pieces. Um, I understand that you have a hollow form. Is that right? A hollow I do. form ring here? Tell me, tell me what that is. So this is a ring. If you made this ring completely out of silver, uh, it would be so heavy you wouldn't even want to wear it. So you decide to make part of the ring hollow. So you make the interior ring band and the exterior part of this ring that goes around the ring band, and you solder it together in the back. And then you bring this out to the front and you solder a, place, a piece across the front here. And that leaves this entire front portion hollow. And it's very lightweight, very easy to wear. And then I set this with an aquamarine crystal. Oh, an aquamarine is one of my favorites. My wedding ring right there has aquamarine. It's a dark aquamarine, but it has. Okay, I see what you mean, that is quite light. So how many separate pieces of silver, and it's sheet, right? We're using, you're using it is, 22 sheet gauge here. sheet. Okay, and wow, and you made this little bezel too, I think, right? I did. That's beautiful. So there's one, 
two, three, and four pieces. You have the top comes across last. And on the top, I actually sawed that out so that this stone could go a little bit further down in mm -hmm. here because it's a big stone, but I still had to uh, use resin to secure it because oh, okay. it's whenever you have something up and down like that, it's not a very secure um, setting. Well, it is a beautiful piece. Thank you. And that, I think, it, if I, I think, is probably a technique that takes considerable skill <laughs> <laughs> in, in both soldering and finishing because there is not a seam to be seen on that, that piece. So you mentioned the setting um, on that piece, and I know you have several different kinds of settings here. Um, and I know some of them are the same style of setting, but they have uh, different patterns or something. So talk to me a little bit about that. Talk to me about the setting of the, this pendant with the face and the different, the show the different kinds of. So this pendant is um, a combination of settings. So this is your typical bezel setting here on all of these stones. And these are turquoise? And they're all turquoise, mm -hmm. and this is uh, a hand-carved face from Bali, which I like to use in my jewelry. Okay. And um, in the background, there is a piece of geode that I polished, and the geode had a natural hole through it, so rather than do, this is called a stone-on-stone -stone setting when you set a stone on top of a stone, and normally you attach that to the back of the stone, but this stone had a giant hole, so I couldn't do that. So. This got riveted through the uh, piece and onto the back okay. with the silver tubing. And then flip it back over. It's a beautiful back, too. And then it looks like these... That's prong settings. Prong setting. Okay. And then there, I noticed that the, the bezels around the turquoise look different than the bezel around the face. So this bezel here is, this is called gallery wire, and it is bought... So it's gallery wire, and several suppliers use this, and you can order from them, and there's just a multitude of different patterns you can get. And you can use this to set cabochons, which this would be considered, and you can also use it to set faceted stones. It's very pretty. So it comes with the pattern sort of already, already on there. It. That's nice, and you can choose. So this is one of those um, options to keep in mind when you're doing custom work for people. You can offer them. I can offer they them. They can a, choose their. So many different options. Right. That's beautiful. That's very nice. Now, tell me about the houses. You have a veritable neighborhood of house pendants here. Tell me about these. So I first made some of these little house, uh, dichroic houses out of um, glass many years ago at an art retreat I was at. And I just loved making them, but I would just glue an ugly little bale on the back of it and uh, use it that way. Um, and then one day I thought, you know, I would just love to give my house a house, so to speak. And so I created a setting to put each house into that would protect it so it didn't break, because uh, I had several break that were just free mounted. Um, and this little setting is made out of sterling silver. It's... Um, I love this because it looks like 
the setting is, it looks like the house is ready to give me a hug. And I kind of felt that way too, and I really yeah. like that I do option. Too. Do you see, see the little? So I create on. the top and the bottom on a piece of sheet silver uh, to start with. And then I um, solder in some prongs on each side to hold the stone. So this is another example. And then on the back, I put words. And it can be home sweet home. It can be anything. My, your home is where the heart is. It doesn't matter because each one is hand stamped and then soldered onto the back. Oh, okay. So, and are these all different? Uh, most of them are the same. There is one, I think, that says... Uh, home is where the heart is, okay. but the houses are all different themselves. Yes, the houses are all different, and these are all—they're all dichroic glass, which is this is dichroic glass. A little bit of a mystery to me since I'm not an art glass person. So dichroic glass is a glass that's made with two different coatings of metallic uh, color. And because it's two coatings, when the light hits it one way, it's one color. When the light hits it another way, it's another color. So it depends on the refractory angle of the light source that is near glass. And it, it comes, it's very thin pieces, and you get it in a giant uh, grab bag, depending on what size you want. And then when you get it, um, you can get... Um, a whole bunch of pieces. I usually what I do is I like to make um, pattern pieces. So there's a pieces of glass about this big, and then I cover the surface with all kinds of scrap dichroic, and a sheet of clear glass or a sheet of clear dichroic, and I put it on top and I fire it that way, and then I make cabochons out of it. But for the houses themselves, these are literally just small pieces of dichroic that I've cut into the shapes that I want them to be, and then fired them in place using what's called a tack firing. Okay, which is what gives it the texture, right? Yes. And um, Colleen asks, what is the name of that wire? I believe she's asking about the wire for bezels, the fancy. Can you tell us the name of that again? The gallery wire? Gallery, gallery, gallery wire. wire. There you go. And that probably comes in some gold as well as silver, right? It comes in all the metals all that the I'm metals. aware of. Perfect, so very versatile. Indeed. Well, I would like, if I could, I'm just, I'm helping myself to all of these, these shiny goodies. We'll see how many of them end up in my handbag on the way home. <laughs> Don't tell Jack. All right, show us, if you would, the, um, there's a ge another geode piece that you cut, a pendant way up there at the front, there we go. And I would love to see this one because this is another example, I believe, with the... This is a new setting okay. that I can talk about. So this stone here uh, is the twin to the other geode stone that I did. This is another slice off the same geode, except I think if I just move this a little bit, you can see all the sparkly crystals around it. I can see it. the sparkly crystals. So that's called druzy, and I love the druzy look there that just kind of frames this, and in the middle of the druzy was a hole, and when I looked at the hole, I just didn't like it plain. I knew I could do something with that, so I put what's called a tube setting in it, uh -huh. and tube settings are literally made out of silver tubing, uh, one piece within the other, so a shorter piece that catches the bottom of the stone, and then the top of the 
tubing is uh, thin enough to lay down around it like you would lay down around a bezel. Oh. And so uh, this is just snapped into that tube setting. It's a synthetic emerald that's faceted. Do you solder the two pieces of tube together? Yes. Okay. You can, but it's just as easy to solder the whole thing at one time because okay. the solder will go up and... Got it. So when you're soldering it onto the back, it just naturally... It just naturally goes together. Okay. And then you put the stone in and then you... So once the stone was in, this is a modified uh, bezel setting here. This is 18 gauge sheet that I've bent around the stone and then uh, put texture into the top of it. And so that holds the stone in completely on this side and then three more prongs on this side to hold it in. To hold it in. So what I love particularly about your work, Jan, is that you are so willing to mix things, right? You don't look at this and go, oh, bezel. You look at it and go, oh, what if it's a modified bezel? And what if I add prongs on <laughs> one side? And what if I, and I bet the back is pretty too, the back is decorated. All of my pendants have some right. kind of decoration on the back. Well, we can't just have it on the back. Let's make it beautiful on the back, too. And that's, that's a sign of just really impressive craftsmanship and artistry. And I appreciate that. I think that's terrific. Now, if I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure the ring just to the right of that pendant also may have tube settings. It does. I have to say that I love setting in tube settings. I also do prong settings, but the tubes are just easy and fun to do uh, because the stone uh, just snaps into it. And then I have a tool that goes around the top and I hit it with a hammer and it folds all the, oh, the slides the around at one time, time so it's even. That is nice. But the this is actually a river rock that I found um, just alongside a creek or on the beach somewhere. And I flattened the back of it so I could set it like it was a regular stone. Now, on this bezel around this, the river stone, is that another example of gallery wire, or is that a, a no, bezel that you made? This is a different kind of bezel wire. Okay. And what this is, it comes this way. It has a beaded wire along the edge, and then the bezel comes up from that. And so this is an example of something that you could make yourself, but it's available already Already a little bit of the work is done. And so a lot of people, especially if you're doing a lot of production work, you want to cut your time as much as you can. Right. I like uh, doing this on my own and being able to do it my way, uh, but this is certainly a time saver if this is the way you want to go. Right. Well, and the nice thing about that is then you can spend that time that you would have used making a twisted piece of wire in designing your piece or, or yes. finishing or soldering or something. So... So I think that that definitely has its place. So if you are just joining us, this is the Creativity in Focus podcast. And we're here today with Jan Harris-Smith of Jan Harris-Smith Studios, who, and Jan is joining us to talk about her extremely talented metalsmithing and glasswork. Uh, it turns out she is a woman of a bajillion talents, and we are lucky to have her here to talk about all of them. So please share with your friends, and of course, send in your comments and your questions. Um, and we are going to keep talking about metalsmithing. I'm not letting her off the hook yet. <laughs> I still have questions. Um, and I, my next question is actually about this guy right here. Okay. Um, this one has a copper 
This one has copper. And this it looks, one is copper. It looks like a bale with some extra stuff. So this is an interesting piece. This, I love to set my dichroic glass so that it moves and catches the light. I don't know if I can get it to... Oh, we can see that flash. But you can it's see it. This is crazy bright. There's an orange and a green to this stone. So to be able to mount it so that it has free movement gives everybody a chance to see that flash of color while somebody wears it. Mm -hmm. um, this would be a really good example of when I would use my Smith Little Torch, my oxypropane torch, because to be able to put the silver wire through the stone, I drilled a hole through the stone, I balled one end of the wire, and then I stuck that through, but to get the other end, uh, bald requires heat and it requires that the glass be in place or else the glass would just fall off. So I had to uh, submerge the glass into a bowl of water while I let the flame of the torch go right across the top and ball that silver. Wow. <laughs> uh, and I did ruin several on my way to finding out how to do this particular setting. But That's I like to be able to set the little turquoise on top right. and uh, have a, a way for that pendant to swing back and forth and free move. And I don't know if you guys can see that little turquoise up at the top of this pendant. It looks like the bezel has kind of a little sawtooth pattern around it. Is that right? It is. It, it's a um, is that serrated okay, uh, bezel ser wire. Serrated bezel wire. I like that. It gives it just a completely different look. And it's much easier to set your stone in that because oh, you just have to push just, the ends over. Right, and then there's a texture on this copper too. How did we achieve the, the texture? The texture went through the rolling mill okay. and I love, love, love rolling metal through the rolling mill with uh, texture patterns so that the metal is completely textured while you're using it. Um, and what kinds of things can you use to make the texture? Oh, almost anything you can think of. So I've used uh, sandpaper, Ooh. paper towels, <laughs> uh, canvas, um, live things like leaves. Um, the only thing you have to be cautious of is not to use anything wet because the wet will cause your uh, rolling wheels to rust and they're very wow. expensive to replace. Okay. And so, okay. And then I'm, I'm assuming that there's different thick, you can adjust the thickness on a rolling mill so you can You can adjust the thickness so you can do different, different thicknesses. Things. And the other thing I use the rolling mill for is, um, so gold's expensive, we all know that. <laughs> now if I have a piece and I want a gold accent, I can go to my jewelry box and say, well, I don't ever wear that gold necklace anymore and melt it into a lump and then use the rolling mill to roll it out flat so I have a little piece of gold sheet. Oh, I didn't, I, I mean, I guess that's extremely logical, but it never would have occurred to me that you could do that. I love the idea of rolling mills. Um, they're almost like magic, I think. Uh, now, we also have another copper bracelet here with a nice texture on it. Was this a rolling mill one also? No, this is using the um, method of fold forming that was created by Charles Luton Brain back in the 70s. And it was the first jewelry technique invented um, in recent days. I mean, everything has come to us from the ancient days of uh, the Egyptians forward. But this was brand new, and this is something he discovered that you could take uh, metal, and in particular copper, 
and you can fold it, beat on it with a hammer to make a fold, anneal it, and then straighten it out, and that fold will remain in the middle. And so you can use that to um, make decorative creases and folds across the middle. And so this one has diagonal uh, folds and horizontal folds and vertical folds in it. But there's so many more that you can do to create jewelry with. And this, it looks thinner than the other copper bracelet that we looked it's at. It's very much thinner. This, uh, I was taught to use it with 22 gauge and just really felt like the bracelets just didn't have enough um, heft to it mm -hmm. to be able to wear without it bending. So I switched to 20 gauge and this is 20 gauge copper. Okay. And this, so explain to me, if you would, the difference between annealing glass and annealing metal, because I'm pretty sure annealing metal is different. It is different, although the terms are used are the same. Um, when you anneal metal, so when you pound on metal, the more you pound on it, the closer the molecules get to each other and the stiffer the metal gets. Okay. And it, no matter how malleable your metal is or how much it bends, um, it will get that hard and it's like a rock and you'll never bend it again no matter how hard you hammer on it if you get to that point. And eventually it stresses the metal to the point that the metal breaks and you don't want to get to that point. So especially when you're hammering and folding and bending and doing a lot of work that causes those molecules to roll together in metal, you heat that metal back up until it's a deep purplish red color and then you immediately quench it in water. And then those molecules move apart and you can start all over again just as if you were on a fresh piece of dead soft metal. So uh, that's the way you do it in metal. In glass, what you're doing is you bring your, your glass up to a feasible temperature, and as it cools, initially, the outside cools faster than the inside. And so the annealing temperature for uh, glass is to hold it at that temperature until the entire piece of glass is, has a copacetic temperature, and then it can be gradually cooled from there. And that prevents the glass from stressing and cracking. So you get kind of the same end result if you right. don't anneal, but it's a completely different, uh, different procedure. Process. Right, because if you heat glass to purple red and drop it in water, you get something completely different. <laughs> <laughs> you get a very surprising result. Um, so thank you for that information. Um, and if you're just joining us, we are at the, we are doing the Creativity in Focus podcast. Look, I have a sign. Ha! Ah, there it is. And we're here talking to Jan Harris-Smith, who's a very talented silversmith and artist, and we're delighted to have her. So we're going to, to keep her talking because we love her. Okay. You ready for more questions? I am. And okay. I, I have this piece on. Oh, let's talk about that piece. So this piece is an Oregon Jasper. Is this one that you cut? And this is not one I cut. I okay. had this stone for years and just never could figure out how I wanted to set it. And then one day I tried etching. Oh. And so 
I etched this piece of silver on the back in the shape. Hold it really still so we can look at the back of it. In the shape of a compass. Wow. So if you can see that. I can see that. It's phenomenal. And then I looked for the stone that was big enough to set on the other side of that compass. <laughs> so. <laughs> oh, it but. And this stone popped up. And I said, oh my gosh, finally. Uh, because I think I've had this stone for 20 years. Um, it had a dollar fifty price tag on it, and they're oh way more goodness. expensive now because it's been mined out. And flip it back over so, so we can look at the stone. What I love about this is, to me, this looks like a landscape. This is a landscape jasper. So there's have, several different kinds that are in the state of Oregon. And then um, you have a compass to make your way through the landscape. And then I have a landscape. compass to make my way through it. And then this is just a simple hammered um, edging that I did on the sheet that it's that the bezel is mounted to. And you, it's okay, you say simple, she says simple hammers. <laughs> but I'd be willing to bet it involved more tools than just a hammer. Is that right? How did you make that? Just texture? a hammer and a stamp with a straight edge. Okay, so just something similar to maybe a screwdriver in. Yeah, you can visually. use it. I do use screwdrivers or okay. anything else that comes to hand that is metal and can be hit with a hammer. I'm going to stay out of her way. <laughs> Look out. When this lady has a hammer, she is serious. <laughs> That's a beautiful piece, Jen. I, I really like the etching on the back. Tell me more about the etching. You say etching, but um, there's different ways you can do that. You can do etching with a, a stylus or etching with... So the etching with um, sterling and is done with uh, silver nitrate. And I don't like using the nitric acid because it eats away the metal quickly and it's more dangerous to work with. So I use silver nitrate and electricity. And I put a direct current power source on the piece and in the solution of silver nitrate and I put it upside down. Um, first I iron the pattern on and that's pretty easy to do uh, with any of the transfer papers. And <laughs> you just take your your copy, whether it's original or clip art, down to a copy shop where they can copy it with toner. Mm -hmm. And then you iron it onto your metal with an iron, and that's pretty, like it's just clothing? like you would. Like you wouldn't, iron? you just don't use steam, but it's a clothes iron works great. Really? So the, okay. those little photographic irons they used to make that put transfer paper on the back so that you could stick it to the board, those work great. Oh, those I know are what perfect. You're uh, I hardly see them anymore because that's become passe. But um, anyway, you, after you iron it on at a high temperature and you let it cool and then you rub all the paper off, what's left is a toner from the copy and that adheres to the metal. So that provides a resist for the silver nitrate. And so you take that piece and you turn it upside down in the solution and just brace it on these little sponges and wait about an hour and you get that lovely etched uh, pattern into your metal. Okay, so I have a million questions now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because I didn't realize that it used electricity. First, I'm thinking this is like etching glass with acid or something. So is it, it a it system does, It does use electricity. It do you it's just a, pull the plug um, off of an electric Any cord direct and... current, um, uh, like a rectifier, or not a rectifier, I can't, the name is escaping me, but it's, uh, you can buy them on Amazon or anywhere that you want to, and all they do is convert your alternating current into direct current or like battery current. Okay, and then... So it just 
keeps going at the same current all the time, and that provides the power to be able to do that. Okay. And is did you build your own etching system, or is this something that we I, can... I ordered a direct current source because uh, I hope to be showing people how to do electroforming at, in class in the future, oh, okay. and that requires one too. Okay, so this could be a dual purpose tool. Yes. This all sounds really sketchy to me, to be honest. <laughs> like, like one time we did this experiment where we pulled the, the end off of an electric cord and we put each end in a pickle and plugged it in. And that was terrifying. So this, <laughs> this <laughs> and it smelled really bad. Not bad. But this um, <laughs> sounds like, is it less terrifying than? Oh, much less. Than, it's very easy. It's one electrode on your piece and one electrode in the water in the solution. The solution. And then and the current just flows like through it. And it's a very dish? low, non-dangerous current. Okay. You're not gonna electrocute okay. yourself. First, I'm thinking house current. I'm thinking No, that's <gasps> that's why you have to have this to convert the house okay. current to something that is very steady and low amp. And you also probably don't do it in a metal container. No, in glass. In glass, okay. In glass container. Gosh, I'm learning so many things. I'm gonna need to see this in action at some point. But so. you can use a metal container as long as it's non-reactive with your etchant. Oh, right, okay, that makes sense. Um, so tell me a little bit, we always try and include a little chunk about business. Uh, tell me your website and what social media you're on so people can follow you if they, they would like to know more about you. Okay, um, I'm, I have my own website, janharrismithstudio.com. Uh, it's a Squarespace website and just shows mostly samples of the jewelry that I do. I am um, frequently on Instagram, and that's also Jan Harris Smith Studio. And I'm on Facebook, both as Jan Harris Smith and Jan Harris Smith Studio, however, You'll see more on the Jan Harris Smith than you will on the studio site because uh, of the algorithms that prevent people from being able to <laughs> yes, we love do those. their thing. We love those algorithms. Uh, Fused Elegance says, oh, electroforming, how exciting, scary but cool. I agree. <laughs> it's so, not scary at all, though. Uh, it's very, very easy. The only thing with electroforming, because electroforming is very much like the etching process, except that you're putting a conductive solution on top of something like an acorn or a pine cone or a little piece of, it can be anything. Uh, one of the most striking things I saw was uh, a woman created a bracelet out of 14 gauge copper, and then she uh, electroformed that with copper and it created a beautiful organic looking bracelet because the copper then deposits on the copper and um, it doesn't do it smoothly, so it gives you this very organic surface. Uh, but you can coat almost anything, seashells, stones. Um, it's just an alternative way of being able to mount your stone uh, to a necklace, uh, because you can actually solder um, jump rings and things like that into it, or you can actually make that part of it while you're putting it together. But it is just like a graphite-based paint that goes onto the piece that you want to electroform because that conducts electricity. And then you put a copper solution in the beaker and a copper wire that goes all the way around up to the top and then it holds your piece and turn it on. And it's just very easy. The patience comes into how long it takes until it's copper formed. Okay. I, I don't believe that it's easy, but I'm willing yes. to trust you. 
<laughs> I can see a field trip in my future. <laughs> okay, there are a couple more pieces here that we have not looked at yet that I would like to talk about. So, and this is one of them, this necklace here. Um, this one, I, I believe that I think it it's is... just caught on the tab there. Okay, right. I don't want to. I'm not done. I'm making the chain for that right now. Okay, you're making this chain? No. Oh, okay. I'm making a chain, a chain that goes on this, but I put this chain on it for now so I could right. bring it. It's beautiful. This is also fabricated. This is one of my dichroic stones, and um, I created oh about five of these to look like the night sky with stars in it. Okay. And. Um, the first one I called Night Sky and, and put a cubic zirconium next to it for a star. And it um, sold right away. So I thought, well, people must like that color. So I, I don't know, I'm such a backwards person. I can't figure this out. <laughs> so <laughs> it does, it, it takes a little practice. I'm not very good at it myself. Anyway, there's a, there's a real shine to this, which you really can't see in the camera right now, but uh, just little flecks of different colors that are in the stone. And so I've mounted this so that it looks um, like it's part of the night sky. There's a moon and star there and then on a branch of a tree. And most of my uh, original designs are very organic. I really like organic looks. So now you said this was a fabricated piece. So um, talk to me a little bit about how this particular piece was fabricated. What did you start with? What was the very first So the step? first thing I started with, this was the started as a class demo in setting a stone. And so I already had the stone and I set it on a piece of silver and this, I had this much silver left over and I wanted to show them how to pierce, which is when you cut within a piece of metal. And so I quickly sketched this little design out and cut it out and made it um, one piece, and I was going to hang it with just a regular piece of tube right here to hold a chain, but I thought, wouldn't it be cool if I could make a branch without having to cast it, because um, most people do cast their branches, mm -hmm. and so it's, um, this is made with 14-gauge uh, wire and little cut-out leaves, and it's all soldered together. And then are the, the veins on the leaves, are those stamped on? I did. I took a chasing tool and okay. stamped those into it. And you do that before you solder it on? I did. And then, so soldering is really sort of the very last step. Not always, no. but in this case, um, I want it to form the leaves and mm -hmm. then solder it because any manipulation after it's soldered could result in an, a break in a solder joint. And I didn't want to risk that. So are, so are solder joints the most delicate part of the assembly once it's finished? Is Not delicate so much as it can be, especially if your metal gets hot during the process, it can make it rigid. And sometimes the metal fails right there. Okay. So we sort of, this is part of the, the planning process that mm -hmm. you were talking about earlier, is yes. deciding which thing you solder in which order and how those things go together. Exactly, and it's so important to plan your piece out so that you can do that and you create the least amount of harm to your piece. If you know before you actually start where the weaknesses will be in your strong points and uh, work with that so that the piece uh, survives you putting it together. <laughs> So now this particular piece you told me something about before we were on camera, and I wondered if you would share 
that same comment with our audience, that this piece actually started out with a little bit more to it. Yes, so, and this can happen to anybody. <laughs> what I draw on paper doesn't necessarily mean it looks good on your neck. So I was actually um, putting this together and there was a branch that came out here with another two leaves on it. And in the process of soldering, uh, it all came together quite nicely. And then in the process of polishing, that little branch broke off. And I realized immediately that it was meant to be because I needed to move. This was almost straight up and down and oh. needed to move to the side. So it was better off without that branch. Um, and those are some of the things that you think of beforehand are how, how will this fit around a neck? Because two-dimensionally on paper, what looks great, once it gets three-dimensional and on your neck or on your ring finger or wherever it happens to be going may not work because of discomfort um, or perhaps the size didn't work out right or there's a lot of different things that can go wrong. So that when you design your piece, it's one of the most important things you do is to not only think of it in the two-dimensional design aspect, but also in how it will fit and the comfort it will fit with on your uh, body. And what I love about this is that it's, it's almost like that jewelry piece participated in its own making a it, little bit. It did, and that frequently bit. happens. <laughs> so, you know, we all laugh, uh, but it's true. What you start with as a design will probably not be what you end up with as an end result, unless you're very determined. <laughs> Very determined. Halfway I, through, I will change my mind and think, no, I don't like this. I'm going for something different. And do you ever have pieces that you get halfway through and they're not going where you want and you just put them in timeout for a while? All the time. So I had a piece, and um, it's on my Instagram site, that I started in 2006, I believe. And it was a very difficult piece. It, uh, when I put it on paper, it looked like it was going to be easy. And when I started soldering it, I realized that I had solder seams that were on top of solder seams and that it was going to be pretty difficult to not melt one while I did the other. So I picked that up and I never finished it when I started it. I'll start there. I picked it up a couple years later. I think I got one more solder seam done. And then I picked it up and oh, maybe four years ago, and tried it again and melted off a piece that I'd already soldered on. And so away it went again. <laughs> and then this year I decided this was going to get finished uh, come hell or high water. And so I took it out and I puzzled it out in my mind how I could uh, address all those solder seams and finish the piece. And I did finish the piece at long last. And the, when I first did it in 2006, I was actually in the class and the professor told me it could never be done. And so there was really a sense of accomplishment when I finished the piece. 12 years, that is dedication right there. And, but I feel like your, your skills grew over those 12 My years. My skills have certainly grown over the years. And um, probably the most positive thing I've done is when I started teaching metal smithing, I learn as much from my students as I have from my teachers. And so I tell all my students, don't just take classes from me, take classes from everybody, because no matter who or what level you're at, 
you will always learn something and maybe a technique that works so much better for you than what you're doing already. So Carol Vierima says, sounds like Frankenstein helped teach the electroform information. Scary to kind me. Kind of, well. yes. <laughs> so we're, we're going to pressure Jan to teach us this in a class, I have a feeling. Uh, so That would be fun to do. It would. We'll send you home to practice. Um, are you up for another question? Sure. Okay. We have a, a bracelet here in the center that we have not looked at, and I would like to look at it because... It is, it's a silver bracelet, but it's a different silver, different kind of silver bracelet than the silver bracelet we've already looked at. So tell us about this, about just tell us about how you make this and what it's called. So, because uh, this has, this is has a cuff both, bracelet, but, it has but it's made out of half round wire. Okay. And when you put this together, I start with a bezeled stone, and this is another one of my pieces of glass. It's been created out of uh, glass frit and silver foil, and it just said it wanted to be a bracelet. <laughs> and so I actually soldered it to a piece of copper, and you can see the copper on the back. Um, and when I'm working with my glass, I frequently use copper where it won't touch the body because I don't like it leaving green stains, but it is a way of introducing a little bit of color to your jewelry, uh, and I like to do that. So then this one kept going, and I put some round balls here, and this is just melted scrap, so the, this excess silver you have after a project, you always save. You get to cast with that, or you get to use it for... Um, uh, making little balls like this to do decorations with, and you can stamp into it and cut pieces out and decorate with that. There's all kinds of things you can do, so never throw your scrap away. If nothing else, you can take it down to the refinery and get a little bit of money back for it. Uh, so the, the bezel of this is sterling silver. Then I created uh, the little ball design around the ends, and then I took uh, pieces of half-round wire and half-round wire means that this is domed on top and flat underneath. And so when this is against my skin, the flat side is against my wrist, and the domed side is on the outside, which is very decorative. And then I put an end cap on each end to hold the ends of the wires together. Let's see if you can see it there. There you go. Just a solid little piece of silver that goes there to hold the wires together and keep them from rubbing on your skin. It's a very simple bracelet to make uh, because basically you're just soldering those two wires across the back of a bezel and then you turn them on a bracelet mandrel to create a bracelet. It's very elegant. So Jan, tell us about your upcoming online class. What things, so we, we prevailed upon Jan to teach a class for us. Tell us what you'll be teaching and some of the things we'll be learning. So in my class, um, the first thing I'm gonna teach everybody how to do is take dichroic glass and glass frit and a little bit of silver foil and create the stones that you see in my jewelry mm -hmm. today. So you'll create the little houses out of dichroic nice. and I'll also show you how to make the cabochons out of the dichroic glass and also out of the reactive glass so that you'll be able to set that in your jewelry if you like. It's very easy to do. It can be fired in a small kiln, or I imagine it might be able to be fired in one of the microwave kilns. I've never used one, so I'm not sure. 
but there's no reason it shouldn't be able to be fired in that. Uh, almost all communities have some kind of teaching facility that has kilns, and if you find that in your community, you can make almost anything using their equipment, which is a good deal. Um, the rest of what you'll learn in class, besides making the little houses and the cabochons, is I'm going to show you how to make that um, little silver house that goes around the dichroic house with the prongs and the top and the bottom and the words on the back. And you'll be able to make your own and on your own. And uh, that's exciting. I just, I really love those houses. I don't, and I've always loved them. They're just so reminiscent of home and <laughs> the heart and the heart of the home. And will we be doing any copper? Um, I think that that's for a, 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 different, a different class. Okay. I'm going to work with silver. And I really want to emphasize to everybody, if you don't want to work in silver and you want to work in copper because of the uh, amount of money you save using copper, that's just fine. Everything I teach you to do with silver, you do the same with copper. Nice. The only difference would be that copper uh, melts at a higher temperature, and so sometimes when you're learning, it's an easier metal to play with. Okay. So Jan's class is, uh, the registration page is live. You can go register for that now while you're thinking about it. And of course, please share this information because we would love to spread the word about this amazing talent that we're bringing to, to Curious Mondo. And we're so happy that she's going to be with us again. It's been so much fun today and we're so happy you're here. Um, if I'm very happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> and brought all of these beautiful goodies for us to look at. I appreciate that. This is work of yours that I've never seen before, so I'm really excited to see some of these things in person. Um, and make sure, of course, that tell us your website one more time. JanHarrisSmithStudio.com and Instagram is JanHarrisSmithStudio at JanHarrisSmithStudio and um, Facebook is JanHarrisSmith. Nice. So make sure you give Jan some following love and make sure you register for her class and do join us again next week. This was the Creativity in Focus podcast every Tuesday at 2.30 Mountain Time, which I think is 4.30 Eastern Time. I'm sure someone will correct me if I'm wrong. Um, and we are here every week with a different artist. We'd love to see you again. So thank you for being with us. Jan, thank you for being with us. And, and we... thank all of you for coming to this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> and we will see you next week.